In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I am happy to be talking to you today. we got a good show for you. I want to give you a quick update on my new book, which was being called The Structure of Experience. However, I'm kind of leaning towards the terror before the sacred. And in that spirit, I would like to give you a little, a little taste, a little sample of what you can expect to hear. Here we go. Okay. In order to set up this small little tasty sample for you, I want you to think about a snail shell. Or better yet, a nautilus shell. So, let me try to paint you a picture. Imagine taking a large snail shell and just cutting it right down the middle. And as you look down at the cross-section of the snail shell, you begin to see a series of patterns. Okay? You got it? Are you thinking about it? Okay, I'm going to jump into a little sample here for you. Notice its fractal nature. Its structure reveals repeated patterns of similarly irregular lines, but progressively smaller dimensions. The image is astonishingly beautiful in its rich, detailed simplicity. If you really focus, you can begin to understand the concept of what Philo Judaeus called a more perfect logos. The imagery speaks to us through the voice of creation, a type of synesthesia, the melodic, fractal language of nature's rhythmic harmony, whispering, I exist in all that exists. Are you curious about how a shell of that nature can be formed? I was. Walk with me through the hallways of always as I detail the life cycle of a snail shell, and after, we will talk about the snail shell that you live in. A protoconch. This is the foundation for the basic soft shell that all snails are born. 
Since all snails hatch from calcium-dense eggs, and their innate instincts drive them to eat the eggshell after they hatch, we should not be surprised that it is calcium carbonate at their shells that their shells are made up of. This is also the reason that they are constantly devouring the spinach and green vegetables in your garden. These Yoda-like crawlers are forever hunting for any and every plant-based food that contains this essential dietary ingredient. It is important to note that the patterns on the snail shell are often a direct reflection of his diet. Anyone who has spent time in a tropical environment can tell you of their peculiar beauty. As the snail shell reaches, better yet, as the snail reaches maturity, the basic shell, that which it was born with, becomes the first link in the repetitive unfolding spiral pattern. It will be the first set of in-stop lines on which the rest of its poetic life will be built upon. Similar to how the first trickle of water from our glacier will be the path on which future melting ice will flow. The purpose of the snail shell is very diverse. One way of thinking about it is as a little snail house. It is a house in which the snail is born into and cannot be separated from. It is kind of like your gender, race, or class as a modern-day human being, which is a great segue into the snail shell in which each individual finds themselves living in today. Have you ever heard the phrase, history doesn't repeat, but it definitely rhymes? Think about that phrase. Now think about the image of the snail shell we spoke of earlier. Think about the story of the snail shell. Think about the melting glacier from the previous section. Now I think, now <clears throat> I want you to think about your daily routine. Mine is something like this. 5 a.m., wake up, wash my face, brush my teeth, go downstairs, make breakfast for my wife, my daughter, and myself. 6.30, leave the house, drive my daughter to school. It's roughly about an hour commute. 7.30, with my daughter safely dropped off at school, I drive to work. 9 a.m. Begin my workday, which consists in average of 10 hours a day. 7 p.m. Leave work, commute home. 8 p.m. Arrive home, tell my wife I love her, take a shower, eat a light dinner. 10.30, go to bed. This is my schedule Monday through Friday, day after day, week after week, year after year. Your daily pattern may be different, depending on where you live, your age, your gender, or your social status. However, chances are you do have a daily pattern, a series of repeating events that lead you to the unfolding reality that is your life, your snail shell, the fractal nature, the fractal nature of your reality, similar to how a silkworm spins its web and gets caught in it so too do we spin our web or build our shell and get caught in it. I want to share with you a passage from ancient scriptures that I feel best illustrates the poetic beauty that is nature's fractal language. Perhaps this concept is best captured in the Mahavakyas according to the Vedanta tradition. <clears throat> I am space. I am the sun. I am the directions above and below. I am the gods. I am the demons. 
I am all beings. I am darkness. I am the earth. I am the ocean. I am the dust, the wind, the fire in all this world. I am omnipresent. How can there be anything but me, me, the spirit? The world exists in me, the self, the infinite consciousness. Even as a reflection seems to exist in a mirror, I am the fragrance in flowers, the light in radiance, and even in that light, I am the experience. Whatever mobile or immobile beings exist in this universe, I am their supreme truth or consciousness. Free from conceptualization, I am the very essence in all things in the universe. Just as butter exists in milk and liquidity exists in water, even so as the energy of consciousness, I exist in all that exists. What do you guys think? Powerful, right? That's something that I try to listen to before I go to bed. And if you find yourself having a difficult day or just want something to meditate on in the, in the evening to wind down, I highly recommend that particular excerpt from the Mahavakya's Vedanta tradition. It's something that'll serve you well and potentially even plant the seeds for greatness. Those are the Mahavakya's big ideas, and I can't tell you how big those ideas are. I hope you get to check them out a little bit. Well, that's the intro. I wanted to also speak to you today about an incredible interview I have coming up. It's with Dr. Buchanan. Dr. Buchanan is the author of a phenomenal new book called Our Moral Fate. And he argues in this book about the evolution and the escape from tribalism. You guys, it's going to blow your mind. It's a big book. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a tome. It's like 635 pages. And I'll tell you a little bit about it, but first let me tell you a little bit about him. He's the former James B. Duke Professor of Philosophy at Duke University, currently a research professor at philosoph of philosophy at the University of Arizona. The guy is an intellectual giant, and if you get a chance, you should pick up his book. It's called Our Moral Fate, Evolution and the Escape from Tribalism. I want to talk a little bit about about it, you know, it's, I read a little bit, I just got it today, and I wanted to go ahead and bring up some points so that you guys can think about what it is this guy's going to talk about, or if you have any questions, uh, send them to me, you can send them to my email, georgepmonte at gmail.com, and I will try to work them into the interview. Let me give you the little blurb here. Is tribalism, the political and cultural divisions between us and them, is it an inherent part of our basic moral psychology? Many scientists link tribalism and morality, arguing that the evolved moral mind is tribalistic. Any escape from tribalism, according to this thinking, would be partial and fragile because it goes against the grain of our nature. In this book, Alan Buchanan offers a counter-argument. The moral mind is highly flexible, capable of both tribalism and deeply inclusive moralities. 
depending on the social environment in which the moral mind operates. We cannot be morally tribalistic by nature, Buchanan explains, because quite recently there has been a remarkable shift away from tribalism and toward inclusiveness. As growing numbers of people acknowledge that all human beings have equal moral status and that at least some non-humans also have moral standing, these are what Buchanan terms the two great expansions of moral regard. And yet, he argues, moral progress is not inevitable, but depends partly on whether we have the good fortune to develop as moral agents in a society that provides the right conditions for realizing our moral potential. But morality need not depend on luck. We can take charge of our moral fate by deliberately shaping our social environment by engaging in scientifically informed moral institutional design. For the first time in human history, human beings can determine what sort of morality is predominant in their societies and what kinds of moral agents they are. Sounds pretty impressive, right? I was just kind of working my way through the preface and scanning through a few of the first chapters here. I'll tell you what, it really makes me think the very beginning, it starts off like the relationship between tribalism and morality. And he asked the question, is the relationship between tribalism and morality, is it, is that innate? Like, do we have to be tribal? Are we born that way? Is it our basic moral psychology to be tribalistic? There's a lot of people that'll say yes. There's a lot of people that think some people are born conservative and some people are born liberal. And it depends on your the way you were born. And if that's the case, he's saying we're all fucked. He says, listen, if that's the case, then you know why even try? It's just Darwin. It's just dog eat dog, the top survives. And it, there's plenty of evidence to support that theory. However, that's not what he argues. What he argues is that we as human beings are a direct reflection. Our, more, our basic moral compass is a direct reflection of the very society we live in. And it's the social environment that shapes our morality. And some of the evidence just in the preface that he gives to back this up is the fact that we have come so far from the Dark Ages. That we have, according to Steven Pinker, gotten away from a lot of slavery. That we have had less wars. Now, I have not read Steven Pinker's book, Better Angels of Our Time. I've heard it's really good. However, I, I haven't gone through it. And I don't know if I agree with all Steven Pinker's ideas about it. Steven Pinker says that we've eliminated large parts of slavery. However, if you look at the global slavery index, today there's still 45 million people in slavery. You know, there's there's a list of countries from North Korea, India, Uzbekistan, China, Russia, Congo, Pakistan, Sudan, North or the Dominican Republic, Yemen, Iraq, Indonesia, Philippines, Guatemala, Nigeria, 
Not to mention the Epstein Islands of the world. Like, there is tons of slavery still. Sometimes I think Steven Pinker is a guy that wants to just say the world's one way and then have everybody believe him. I don't thoroughly trust that guy for some reason. And I am a truck driver, so you should probably... We should probably give more credence to the Harvard professor instead of the truck driver. The guy's probably researched way more than me, but I just don't believe him. I don't know why. I'm just telling you, I don't believe the guy. That being said, Dr. Buchanan is a intellectual giant. And I want you to think about this concept of morality is shaped by the very society in which you live, by the social environment, I think is what he puts. Morality of the people is shaped by the social environment. You know, it it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. He also says that the progression of morality is not something that's guaranteed. It is possible to regress. And I would argue that that's the one of the battles we're seeing right now in the world of this pandemic today. Are we progressing morally or are we regressing morally? You could kind of make an argument for both, I think. On some level, the system of morality that was happening prior to COVID-19 was this superficial sort of mechanistic ideology that has stripped human that has stripped humanity away from us. So I I think prior to COVID-19, we were on a path to strip morality from the human being. And I think there's a large part of the world that wants that. I think that there's a large portion of people in critical positions of power that don't give one fuck about morality. I think that it's much easier for people in positions of authority to see people as numbers. It's much easier to squeeze production out of a number than it is a 52-year-old guy who's been divorced, has two kids, and has a bad knee. Right? It's very difficult to squeeze that last bit of production from a single mom whose kids are trying to learn online. If you can think of her as employee number 074263. And the people on the top have, it seems to me, found a way, or better yet, have been following down the path that may have been paved for them. And that is the regression that I see, right? I talked earlier about, in the last, in the last podcast, about a pyramid. The people at the top think that they're the person that's in charge of everything. But those people that are on the top would be absolutely nothing without the people on the bottom. And you're seeing the base of the pyramid be eroded. And I, I, I agree with Dr. Buchanan that the environment shapes the morality. Because what happens when the people on the top see the people on the bottom as numbers? The people on the bottom stop caring. 
They stop going the extra mile. They stop caring about what it is they do. That if you're not rewarded for doing a job well done, then the only reason you're doing it is for money. And when you're only doing something for money, you're doing it half-heartedly, I believe. Let's take it a step further. Let's take it a step further here. Let's think about the environment of morality. How is it shaped? How is the social environment shaped? Well, it's, unfortunately, it's shaped by a tiny minority. Those that wield the most power and influence shape the conditions of the social environment. Today, who do we see? We see this new oligarch class, this new class of billionaires. They've probably, that billionaire class has always been there. However, now they've just taken their mask off. Right? They've always been there. In fact, do you remember that song, Putting on the Ritz? Putting on the Ritz. Remember that? It used to be back in New York in the the days of the railroads, those guys be walking around with their fucking manacles and monocle, whatever you call those little Monopoly eyepieces, right? Them and their top hats and Rockefellers handing out dimes to people. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're walking around like they're the kings of the world. And then people are like, hey, look at these rich dummies. Started attacking them. And they learned real quick. Hey, maybe we should uh, move to the background. Maybe we shouldn't be out here flashing all our cash. And they've gotten so tired of being in the background and operating that these dummies have come out again and put on their top hats and their monocles and they're dancing around in Central Square. You know, and the same thing's going to happen, right? The same thing's going to happen. It just took a few generations for these dummies to forget, hey, if you're a criminal, maybe you should not be uh, out here dancing around and telling everybody you're a criminal. You know what I mean? Like the arrogance, the balls on these guys. Look at Bezos hanging out with his high dollar hooker, right? The, 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 who, is that, who is that hooker he's with all the time? The one he left his wife for. These guys are running around like, look at me. Like that's, that I think is creating such a horrible social environment. Like, here is someone who's responsible for hundreds of thousands of employees, and he's like, I don't give a fuck about my employees. I'm trying to figure out how to pay them less. Like, how, how long can that stand? Right? How much money can you just pay lobbyists to pay off politicians so the politicians don't do anything to improve the work areas? Well, that's been going on for a long time. It's been going on for a long time. And I think it's coming to a crescendo where 
you know, you're going to see the people on the bottom. Like you already see it right now. Look at the nurses not showing up for work. Look at the doctors not showing up for work. Look at the truck drivers not showing up for work. You could argue that COVID, the pandemic, has caused a quote-unquote great resignation. Or you could argue that the living standards, the lack of morality, the lack of the people on the very top to show one iota of respect for the guy that gets up and works 14 hours a day, that has three kids, that could barely put food on the table. And that person doesn't have to be black, white, Mexican. That's the majority of people on the bottom. I don't care what color you are. There's a lot of people that are barely scratching by because the people on the top constantly look for ways to squeeze production so they can have a bigger bonus, so they can pay the shareholders. And there's been plenty of opportunity. There's plenty of things we can do. One thing we can do, why don't we pass, or better yet, why don't we just reinstate the law that says no profits during times of war? Simple, right? Everything that's sold in times of war, a 2% profit tops. Everything else goes into Medicare. Everything else goes into Social Security. You see, the lobbyists, the defense contractors, which now is big tech and the pharmaceutical industry, they went ahead and privatized all those profits. What's the point of you and me paying taxes when the government just prints that money? You see, they can print all the money. They just print it and they give it to all their criminal friends on Wall Street because they're too big to fail. But you, somebody that gets up and goes to work every day, you're not big enough. In fact, we got to take more of your stuff because how can these people possibly continue to live their lifestyle on their yachts, on St. Bart's, and getting all their hookers and doing all their blow? How can they do that? If you're not giving them more money, don't you understand? They have to print all the money. They have to print trillions of dollars just to keep their same bonuses now. They have to do their buybacks and stocks just in order to keep up their, you know, their rate of expansion, their rate of growth, right? We, it's imperative that we spend $300 million every six months and send that off to Afghanistan even though there's food shortages here, even though Flint doesn't have clean water, we have to give up all the water rights to Nestle so that they can suck the water out of the ground for free. In fact, in California, the government pays Nestle to suck the water out and then sell it back to you. The privatization. See, that's what a lot of the people in positions of authority want now. They feed you this line of bullshit like, we have to privatize everything because government sucks. It's goddamn government. You know these damn government people? It's these government regulations that are a problem. Man, aren't you guys tired of government? Well, you know who's doing that? The people that say that are the people in positions of authority that are sick and tired of losing a few dimes. Have to pay a few nickels. Hey, here's a few shekels. I can't believe I have to pay this 12 cents. That could be going in my pocket. 
And what they don't understand, here's what gets me about these big business guys or any of these dumbasses that start talking about how difficult regulations are. Guess what, you big dummy? You think you're going to get rid of government and it's going to be better? What's going to replace government? The corporations are going to replace government. Right? Here's what these guys don't get to. This is what, and tell me if you think I'm wrong. So business hates government because government puts rules on business. Now, I'm not saying there's not some dumb regulations that couldn't be chopped. I'm not saying that there's not grift and there's political cowards and like the corruption is there. I get you. But I ask you, would the world be better if it was run by corporations? Because that is a big part of what's going to be crammed down our throat in this COVID-19 slash technocratic world that's being pushed. So here's what I tell the business people. Yeah, hey, I'm sorry you have a boss. I'm sorry you have regulations. But if you hate it so much, what's, why do you guys have regulations for your employees? You know, what if you, as an employee, you go into your work and say, listen, shithead, you guys have too much regulations, man. I want to be able to come in whenever I want, and I'm only going to work a few hours, and all this crap that you, you guys should put all the safety, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to do, the, I'm going to do this thing the way I want to do it, okay? You go in as an employee, and you tell your boss that, he'll tell you to fucking, you're fired, get out of here. So what's wrong with the government telling business, fuck you, you're fired, get out of here? You see, what happens when the, when the wolf takes over the hen house? Everybody gets slaughtered, except the wolf. He gets fat and happy. And that's what these big corporations want. They want to be done with government. They're sick and tired of being told what they can and can't do. And what they don't understand is that they are, they are sharpening the knife that's going to kill them. And let me, let me just, let me tell you what I mean. So they're doing a pretty good job. They're probably going to make government fail. They're going to blame everything on government. Everything's Biden's fault. Everything's Trump's fault. You know, it's, it's, it's AOC's fault. It's Ted Cruz. It's all the government's fault, right? That's by design. But I think it was John Dewey who said, government is the shadow cast upon people by business. And look at these people we have as political entities. They might as well be political prisoners. What, Biden comes in for four years? You have elected officials for two, six, maybe 12 years? What about all the staffers? What about all the secretaries? Those people are there for life. Those are the people running shit. That's the deep state. These are the people making decisions. Do you think, don't you ever wonder how like, man, it doesn't matter if it's, Bush, if it's Clinton, if it's Obama, if it's Trump, if it's Biden, they all have the same foreign policy. That's right. So you as Americans, you're not allowed to vote on policy. That's not for you. Hey, don't worry about what we're doing over there. Don't worry about all this money we're stealing from you and giving to our criminal friends in the Middle East. Don't worry about that. You see, we as the Government slash corporations are building some pipelines and we're putting our kids on the board so we can extract all the resources and cut out you pesky middlemen. And by pesky middlemen, I mean you citizens, all you dummies out here. You guys just do the work and give us the money. Like that's what's happening there. It's that corruption. 
But let me tell you what I think is going to happen. You can already see it. So we've covered that the business people, they hate the government because of regulations. However, government regulations are the same as rules for employees. Does that make sense? Businesses have a boss called government. Employees have a boss called their management. But you know what's happening? As soon as big business gets rid of government, it's going to be the corporate and then the employees. Except that, you know, corporations don't really like paying employees. So they want to have independent contractors. Right? You don't got to pay those people benefits. We want to do the whole Uber model. And it's, it's kind of poetry in motion. Because what's going to happen is they're going to see themselves cutting their bottom line. Look, we don't got to pay these people any. We don't got to pay them any benefits. That means more profit to the bottom line. But when they do that, they're undermining their own profit system. Right? Look at people that are, let's say, this, this new evolution of content creators. Like these people, let's say you have a YouTube channel or you're a content creator on Facebook or something, and you get 70% or 60%, and the platform gets 40%. All of a sudden, what's happening? Well, the government is getting squeezed out. Corporations are taking over. And at first, you know, as a content creator, there's not a whole lot of rules. Right? You could do whatever you want. You could say what you wanted to say. You can make just stupid videos about flat earth and all of a sudden people, they, they started seeing people, hey man, there's a lot of negative attention on these pharmaceutical companies. Hey man, there's all these videos about how we're stealing stuff. Hey man, there's all these whistleblowers out there. Let's shut these people down. And so they do. They started increasing censorship like 500 fold. Hey, let's get rid of all these people talking about our lies. Hey, let's get rid of all these people talking about how shitty the pharmaceutical companies are. Hey, let's get rid of all this negative vaccine stuff. And they do. And then all of a sudden, the people underneath them no longer work on that platform. Now, it's slow at first, but you can see all kinds of new platforms popping up. You see, they have sown the seeds of their own destruction, and you can see it in real time. I don't know why they can't see it. YouTube, Google, this whole new technopoly is the new government. But the people that create all their content are going to eat their fucking lunch. They're done. They're done. They have injected themselves with cancer. A self-eating cancer that's going to destroy the host. It was built in their image. And that, my friends... I think takes us full circle to what Dr. Buchanan is saying about the very social environment in which we live. You see, it's like a it's like a record. It goes round and round and round and gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It's kind of like watching your toilet being flushed. Right? The water goes around and around and it gets smaller and smaller until boosh goes down the drain. And I think that's a pretty good, I hope, I hope I'm not butchering it. Like, I, that's what I think of the social environment right now. And I, I, I really got to get deeper into this book because he starts talking about how we get out of this system. He starts explaining 
why we're better than this. And he's going to give us some conclusions and some ideas and hopefully a roadmap that we can all take a good look at ourselves and say, look, we're all guilty. We have all, you know, contributed to this lack of morality. We have all contributed to putting our heads in the sand and not noticing that the person next to me needs help. We've all committed that sin and we're all guilty. Some of us more than others. However, the time to place blame is is far gone. And I think that the responsibility is going to be on the people that have the most. And right now, if you look at things like the World Economic Forum or the oligarchs, the billionaires, they don't give, I don't think they care one bit about the the wealth come gap. I, I, I think they pay it lip service. I think that they're starting to understand that the bigger the income gap, the more they're in trouble. Because, look, I, I live in Hawaii, and I'm seeing an influx of billionaires f- come out to the islands. I mean, you have Mark Zuckerberg, who just bought up a gargantuan chunk of Kauai, and he keeps buying more. And I got to tell you, the locals over there hate that guy. Like, that guy has to have armed security all the time. And, you know, it, it's in a way, it's super funny to me because here's this guy that is doing everything he can to get away from this behemoth that he created. Like, he is all about just destroying privacy and trying to get everybody's shit. While for him, he tries to create this bubble of security and privacy for himself. What he doesn't understand is that he's creating his own prison. Like he literally lives in a prison. It's a nice prison. I give you that. But, you know, if you want to get away, (laughs) he really should have read his history. Same thing for Larry Ellison. He bought like the island of Kauai. And these dummies, they should really read up on what happened to Captain Cook. For those of you that don't know, Captain Cook, you know, according to if you read the history of if you read like the white guy history or the British history, you will learn that Captain Cook discovered the Hawaiian Islands. But that's kind of like saying Christopher Columbus discovered Mexico, right? There was people there. He didn't discover anything. He came here and he slaughtered a bunch of people. Captain Cook, for his record, he sailed here and he didn't get to leave because they killed him and they cooked him and they ate him. They gave him a chance, but he just fucked everybody over. The same way Mark Zuckerberg, the same way Ellison, the same way all these billionaires, Oprah, uh, there's so many billionaires over here and I don't think they get it, man. I think there's a lot of people here that hate them, that would like to see them cooked, to see their gooses cooked. You know what I mean? I'm not a violent person, but I could, I mean, I read a lot of books and I read a lot of history and, you know, you could, you could draw some pretty good parallels there. I think they should be careful. Like I would be worried if I was them. Like they're, you're not, you're not as safe as you think. I guess that goes for all of us, but. Well, anyways, I'm kind of rambling on that one right there. What I'm trying to say, ladies and gentlemen, is I love you. I got a great interview coming up. This guy is amazing. And I'm really looking forward to talking to him. 
I hope you really enjoyed the first part of my book. I'm shooting for 2-22-22. I think I've changed the title to The Terror Before the Sacred. And uh, I got an awesome new cover art I'm trying to work on. I don't want to uh, make promises I can't deliver on. But let me just tell you this. I've always been a big fan of the 1960s psychedelic you know, rock posters. So I'm going to try to incorporate that in there somehow. And we'll see what I can do. Uh, got some great reviews from the editors. Um, guys, the guys made some. He made some comments, made me want to cry, man. He compared me to some really big, big people in the world of philosophy. So I, I don't know. He probably says that to all the boys, right? Anyways, I love you guys. Thank you for taking time to spend some time with me, and um, looking forward to uh, talking to you guys soon. Aloha. Oh yeah, before I go. Reach out to me with any questions, or if you want to be on the show, it's georgepmonty at gmail.com. That's G-E-O-R-G-E-P-M-O-N-T-Y at gmail.com. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way. I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, Go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.